This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio, AM 740. And welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Come on in, weary traveler, hang your cloak on a peg, grab a stool, and come gather around the fire. There are stories to be told, and you are among friends. Well, it is great to be back in studio and back in Canada after more than a month away. The family and I were in uh, sunny, beautiful southern Greece for uh, most of August and part of September. It's always great to be home, but I I do miss having my morning coffee out on the front terrace overlooking the Messinian Bay. Uh, So now I'm uh, back to enjoying my morning coffee on the front porch up in Thornhill, waving at the neighbor across the street as she collects her blue and green recycling bins. Not quite the same, but I'm not complaining. Not complaining. Well, summer is done, and I hope you had a good one. Uh, Anne Blake Tracy, the author of Prozac, Panacea, or Pandora, uh, is standing by. She's going to discuss the connection between uh, psychiatric medication and mass shootings. Everyone talks about gun control every single time there is a mass shooting, but nobody wants to talk about these uh, psychotic or antipsychotic medications, SSRIs, secondary serotonin reuptake inhibitors, uh, which appear to be causing homicidal and suicidal tendencies. And you go down the list. All the shooters, from Dylan Klebold and Eric Harris, they were on a type of antidepressant. Adam Lanza at Sandy Hook. James Holmes, the shooter at the Aurora Colorado Theater. Same thing. Paddock in Vegas was taking, I believe, well, we'll get it from uh, Ann Blake Tracy, but I believe he was taking Valium, uh, which is often used, prescribed, when one is being weaned off uh, these SSRIs. And, and that is often the most dangerous time, is when someone is getting off the SSRI, and if they don't do it carefully, it can, they can sort of crash, and it can cause huge, huge problems. Faisal Hussein, here in Toronto, the Danforth shooting, was on some kind of antipsychotic medication. So we'll delve into that over the next two hours. She is here for the full two hours. And we'll also take your phone calls with uh, Anne in hour two. Uh, Just a a programming note, no live YouTube stream tonight. 
Our live uh, stream producer, Ryan White, is off. He's always a little off, isn't he, though? Don't you notice that, Albert? He's just a little... No. <laughs> He's up and enjoying the last of uh, cottage, uh, the cottage season. And, uh, but, but we'll be back next week with a live YouTube stream. But Albert is here. The intrepid, idiosyncratic, mysterious... Albert Vinzel, my story producer, and of course Ian Robertson, my technical producer, also here. Good to see you boys again. All right. Well, while mass shoot, shoot killings, mass killings, generally, uh, the killers have guns in their hands. Another common, commonality is that they often have psychiatric drugs in their blood. A case in point, of course, the Parkland, Florida shooter, who murdered seventeen. Last Valentine's Day, he was on medication for emotional issues, according to his aunt. This is now a familiar story. As uh, information, information about a, a perpetrator emerges, some relative confides to a newspaper that the troubled youth who committed the mass murder was on psychiatric medications. You know, those powerful, little-understood, mind-altering drugs with fearsome side effects, including suicidal ideation and even homicidal ideation. Yet, the media seem to have very little appetite for exploring this issue. And politicians don't seem to either. Unlike with the, uh, the gun issue that can be used to scare people and win votes. Uh, moreover, uh, a lot of companies, pharmaceutical companies, spend far more than any other industry to influence politicians. Having poured uh, close to, oh, I think it's close to $2 billion funding members of Congress over the past decade. This dwarfs the gun lobby's political contributions. Now, we're not saying that correlation means causation, but it does seem to provide clues as to what or where causation may lie. And the correlation between mass shooters and psychiatric drug use certainly exists. There is a correlation. So let's explore that over the next hour or two, actually. Anne Blake Tracy serves as the executive director of the International Coalition for Drug Awareness. She has specialized for 17 years in adverse reactions to serotonergic medications. Those are the SSRIs I've been talking about, such as Prozac, Seraphim, Zoloft, Paxil, Lovux, Celexa, Lexapro, Effexor, and others. Also, uh, a line of atypical antipsychotics and painkillers. She's testified before the FDA and congressional subcommittee members on antidepressants since 1992. She has testified as an expert witness in Prozac and other SSRI-related court cases around the world. Some of the more high-profile cases she's, she's worked on would be the murder-suicide of comedian Phil Hartman and his wife, Bryn, the Columbine and Red Lake school shootings, Andrea Yates, that was the Texas mother who drowned her five children, the Atlanta Day Trader, Princess Di's death, the murder-suicide of the royal family of Nepal, Anna Nicole Smith's son Daniel's death, and others. Anne Blake Tracy, how are you? Welcome. I'm fine. How are you? I'm very well. My, uh, thank you. Thank you so much for, uh, for joining us and hanging in for the full uh, two hours. Um, let's, let's just uh, define some terms here. I always like to, to start a show by doing that. What are secondary serotonin reuptake inhibitors, this class of drugs? What, what does that mean, SSRI? Well, they're actually selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, that's what they call them. 
but there's really nothing selective about them. <laughs> That's supposed to make you think that they only affect serotonin that that's the only neurotransmitter that they are targeting. But many pharmacists will tell you it's more like a shotgun blast. So, and, so they're and, not quite as selective as everybody would like to think. But the whole idea is they put out the hypothesis, and I hope everyone remembers this is a theory and a theory only that serotonin is low in depression. That's a neurotransmitter in the brain. And so these drugs are designed to increase the level of serotonin. The problem with that is that research from about 1950 on shows that serotonin is elevated in depression, anxiety, suicide, violent crime, whole long list of things that nobody would ever want to have in their lives. It is elevated, not low. So these drugs are elevating the serotonin, thus causing everything that they are telling you that it's supposed to treat which is why we now see violence everywhere. Suicide has skyrocketed. Um, isn't it almost the leading cause of death in the world today? Uh, it's certainly climbing up there, with, particularly with young people. It is, yes. Uh, yeah. Uh, it's, it's number just, two, it's maybe. Awful. It is horrible. I mean, when I was growing up, I know of one person that committed suicide. One in our school, and that was it. And he had some he had some kind of a brain disorder, uh, some kind of an infection in his brain. So everyone assumed that was probably the problem. But one, and look at it now. I mean, I run into kids that know five and six kids that are friends that have committed suicide on these. Right. Is is serot- uh, are these selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors? Are they? They're not just in antidepressants. They're in, in some painkillers as well, correct? Uh, well, the whole idea is to increase the serotonin, and there are many drugs that do increase serotonin. So they are in many of the painkillers. Many of the painkillers will increase serotonin as well. And in fact, there are many drugs out there now that do increase serotonin, and I would encourage everyone to check that medication, put it on Google, put the name of the drug, and add serotonin as well, and see what you get with that combination. And could you cite, is there a study that you could cite where it has demonstrated that serotonin can cause suicidal and homicidal, I think the word is, is it ideation? Um, Well, there's 21 pages just of references to medical studies that say that in the back of my book. Those are just references. That's how many there are. There's hundreds. Right. You and I have talked and before. So, uh, you mentioned an, an experiment with with mice. Um, oh yes. Talk to me about one. that. Talk to me about that. That one talks about the violence. Um, that was done at the University of Southern California. 
and it is on our website at drugawareness.org. You can find it there. Just do a search for mutant mice. If you don't see it right away, that term would bring it right up because it was a group of mutant mice from an experiment that had gone terribly wrong. And these mice lacked the liver enzyme they needed to break down serotonin. So their serotonin levels were naturally very high. And the researchers did not know that in the beginning. They just noticed how extremely violent the mice were, that if they would drop one into the uh, cage with another one, they would just shred one another. And they had never seen anything like this. And so they wanted to find out what on earth was going on with these mice. And that's what they found is that they lack that liver enzyme. And they attributed the extreme violence to the elevated serotonin. All right, Anne, I've got to jump in here. We're going to take a time out. We'll come back. I want to talk about that liver enzyme uh, because we need to understand why with so many people on painkillers and and antidepressants, why there aren't even more mass shootings. And it comes back to that liver enzyme, and you'll tell us more. When we come back, Anne Blake Tracy, Executive Director of DrugAwareness.org. Back with more. We'll also take your calls in the second hour as we talk about the connection between psychiatric medication and mass shootings right here on The Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett from Zoomer Radio. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Where there's smoke, there's The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Anne Blake Tracy is here, the author of Prozac, Panacea or Pandora. How long has that book been out now, Anne? Oh, I hate to even say it's been out. The first edition came out in 1994. So my question is, why are these drugs still out there? Right, right. Now, um, <sighs> the, 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 the use of these drugs that, that, inclu- that, that uh, increase serotonin is so widespread. I mean, they're dispensing them like Pez. Uh, do you have a handle on what percentage of the North American population is taking uh, some sort of medication, psychiatric medication or painkiller that, in, that, that has serotonin in it? We don't really know. Um, that kind of information is kept kind of quiet. There are some things that I've seen that would give us some indication, like There was an article this summer saying that 25% of the women in the state of Utah are on them currently. Um, You know, I'd say that if we would guess it would be over 50% of the United States that have taken one of these drugs at one time or another. Right, right. So, I mean, it's safe, to, it's safe to say or to characterize the use as widespread. 
Uh, Very. So in that case, obviously, you know, one mass shooting is one too many, but why are we not seeing even more given, uh, you know, the the correlation here? Um, Good question. And that comes back to this liver enzyme, right? It does. Okay, explain. Uh, In fact, if, if any of the listeners want to follow along, if they go to drugawareness.org and scroll down just uh, not very far at all, you'll see some black circles with different things in them. The second black circle, if you click that, it says mutant mice may hold the key to human violence and excess of serotonin. That's the study that we're talking about. Okay. So... This liver enzyme that they were missing is the MAO enzyme. And if you'll remember, there was a group of antidepressants before the SSRIs that were called MAO inhibitors, MAOA inhibitors. Mm. And um, which basically tells you the drugs are working pretty much the same way. But because they were inhibiting that particular enzyme, causing the serotonin levels to rise. So that's the problem, is the serotonin level, because what the listeners need to understand is that serotonin is the chemical in the brain that LSD and PCP increase. And... In fact, when they go into the brain, the brain reads it as if it's got a huge rush of serotonin. All right. So if you're you're lacking the MAOA enzyme. Right. You can't. Or if you're using something that inhibits that enzyme. Right. Like an antidepressant. That prevents you from what? Metabolizing the serotonin properly? Right. Okay. So it begins to build up. Right. Now, yep. with LSD and PCP, you get that rush immediately. With these drugs, what they do is gradually inhibit it so that it begins to build up slowly. So instead of an immediate reaction from the drug, you get a very gradual reaction. So it looks like you are going crazy instead of you are having a psychotic break from a drug you just Right. So that's the subtlety behind these drugs that is so frightening. That's why you're hearing, oh, yes, this was a a person with mental illness that just did this. No, they were crazy, blah, blah, blah. Well, they're crazy because the drug has slowly produced an LSD or PCP reaction, and they're hallucinating from the effects of a drug. So what percentage, do we know what percentage of the population is lacking the MAOA enzyme? We don't. We do know that 7 to 10 percent of the population lack the liver enzyme they need to even metabolize the antidepressant. So as the antidepressant goes to higher levels, of course the serotonin is going to go to higher levels. Right, right. I mean, if all patients could have a little meter reader across their forehead 
so that we knew when they were hitting a toxic level of serotonin, we'd have a pretty good measure of when somebody's going to go on a shooting. Would you, but if you that's were, impossible. if they were to do an <laughs> autopsy on one of these shooters, would they be able to, I don't know, do no. a biopsy on the liver and determine whether they're missing that enzyme? Uh, I think we have tried that in the past, and it has to come from a living human being. It has to be. Ah, interesting. Because I know we tried that with a, a 13-year-old boy that took Zoloft for only six days and hung himself in his closet in the middle of the night, just like Robin Williams did on these drugs. Wow. And, um... Anyway, they, we wanted to be able to find that out. Both of his parents went in and were tested, and they found the weakness in the parents, which would indicate that the son probably had the same problem. So if you had a mass shooter and that was taken alive, and obviously that happened in the case of Parkland, you could test. I mean, if every... Every mass shooter was t- that lo- that you know isn't killed in the um, you know during the uh, the attack. If you could test them, and you were able to determine that they have they're missing that enzyme, wouldn't that if it's in if it's in every one of them, wouldn't that demonstrate uh, causation, not just correlation? Yes, and we have used that in the past, uh, and that's an especially an issue among uh, several different races. Among the Asians, they have a serious problem with that. And we have been able to show that they haven't warned of that in these cases. We had a man that um, he attacked his children with a hammer and then drowned his two children and himself in the same tub. Mm. And what was he taking? What case, medication was we he? We won on? that case because of that issue. He was from Indonesia, I believe. What, what medication was he on? Paxil. Paxil. When you say you won that case, what do you mean? Um, I helped the attorney gather the information and to be able to present it in court. There was a wrongful death suit filed for the father and both children. So the family of the, the, uh, of the victims sued the manufacturer the of Paxil and won. Right. And how, how often are, are these cases going to court and how often are the are the uh, the the plaintiffs victorious um they're not going to court as often as they are being settled so that they don't go to court because at that point it becomes public so most of the companies try to settle before like for instance with Eli Lilly and Prozac if you do a search for Mitch Daniels, who was in charge of taking care of most of these things for them, the first 10 years he was there, 
uh, you will find that they paid out billions to settle things like this. My so word. that'll give you some idea. And how, how often are you called as an expert witness uh, in these cases? Uh, probably not as often as I should be because I stay so busy with so many different things. I need to work on that more. Um, I don't actually testify in those cases. What I've testified in are the criminal cases. But I work with them. I work with the attorneys on the civil cases and helping them to gather what they need to win. Because the evidence is absolutely overwhelming. And by by paying out, I mean that's it. I mean they are being found guilty in a civil in a civil proceeding, right? Oh, oh yes. Okay. There's. Um, but the burden of proof is, isn't the burden of proof Wyoming, less in a civil. But, is the burden of proof is it less or in in a civil trial than it is in a criminal trial? No, it's. It's more difficult in a civil trial ah, okay. than it is criminal, in my opinion. All right. Uh, but there was a case in Wyoming, and I worked that one very closely because I don't know if you remember Jerry Spence. Yes. The Western attorney that was over the O.J. Simpson. He was always being interviewed during the O.J. Simpson That's trial. right, with anyway, the long white hair wearing the buckskin jacket on Larry right, King, of course. Right. Yes. Jerry's really good. I mean, he's an incredible criminal attorney. Um, and Jerry looked at this case for quite a while, several years, and then decided he just didn't know enough about the drugs and was getting ready to retire. And so... I got it to another attorney, Andy Vickery, in Texas, who has worked many of these cases. And so he took it to court. And the man had taken only two pills of Paxil. He only had two doses altogether. And after the second dose, the morning after that second dose, he got up and shot his wife, his daughter who was visiting, and her baby daughter, his granddaughter, and himself. And the jury ruled after hearing all the evidence, including the evidence being presented by their own expert, that it was clear that those two doses of the drug were at least 80% of the reason why it happened. Mm. And they awarded $6.4 million. Should have been billion, in my opinion. So, th- How do you count what somebody's life is worth? Exactly. So this, this is just then the cost of doing business for these pharmaceutical companies. Exactly. They're willing to pay out because and settle out of court because the profits, I mean, yep. if, if let's say 25% of North Americans are taking some sort of a, a serotonin uh, medication, I mean, the profits would be absolutely astronomical. I know. But another thing that happens, which they think is wonderful, I'm sure, is when someone commits suicide or dies on these drugs, 
What do doctors do? They put their families on them immediately. Oh, Mm. how awful. You've lost a loved one. You need something to cope. Right, right. And so your brain's scrambled. If they can keep your brain scrambled for two years on on one of these drugs, then you can't file. You've only got two years to do it. Ah, interesting. That's how they do it. Mm Mm-hmm. But what do we say, Anne, to the, the, the people out there that, let's say they're suffering from depression, uh, and they feel that they are being helped by these, by Paxil or Prozac or Zoloft? I mean, it, it, it does seem to be helping some people. There is a stimulant effect, and that will make you feel like you're doing better. I mean, that's why people take cocaine. You know, and cocaine was given for depression years ago. So they know that a stimulant will initially make you feel better, but in the long run will make the depression even worse, which is what they're finding with these antidepressants as well. Their their long-term studies are showing that they do far worse and then they do better. This is, you know, I mentioned this off the top, but it's a, and it's a rhetorical question, but I'll get you to respond anyway. And that is, you know, why, why whenever we have these mass shootings, all we hear about is, more, is, is gun control. And whenever we hear about suicides, all we hear about is the effects of social media and bullying, which obviously is real. That happens. But they focus right. on those things. Never do they talk about this elephant in the room, which is what we're talking about. The mainstream right. media, why don't they talk about this? Why don't politicians, why isn't there a congressional hearing on this or a parliamentary hearing here in Canada? There needs to be. And I think that Robert Kennedy Jr. made that very clear when he made a statement saying that when he spoke with the producer of a particular news show, a news station, that that producer told him that 70% of their income comes from pharmaceuticals, from pharmaceutical advertising. And he said, if I have a reporter that runs a story that loses me an advertiser, they're gone. There you go. Well, we're gone. But just for a moment, we'll be back uh, with (laughs) Anne Blake Tracy. Stay where you are. We'll continue to delve into psychiatric medication and mass shootings here on The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Stay with us. In a democracy, we elect officials so we can sleep at night. So why are you up? 416-360-0740 or toll-free at 1-866-740-4740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Follow the truth. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio, AM 740. 
And Blake Tracy is with us for the full two hours, and we will open up the phone lines and take calls, questions, and comments just after the top of the next hour. Uh, so we were talking about why uh, the media doesn't talk about this elephant in the room, the connection between psychiatric medication and these mass shooters, or this absolute horrific um, suicide pandemic, uh, particularly with young people. You mentioned Robin Williams uh, earlier. Uh, Was he on a medication that had serotonin? Oh, yes. Yes, he was on Remeron, and I believe he was also taking Seroquel. Both of them increased serotonin. And he had recently been put on Remeron, and the very first side effect they saw with these drugs is Parkinson's symptoms. And so they diagnosed Robin with Parkinson's symptoms and added an anti-Parkinson drug on top of everything else. And his wife will tell you he died of REM sleep disorder. REM sleep disorder is... In those being diagnosed with that, 86% are taking antidepressants. And what that is, is no paralysis during sleep so that you get up and act out whatever nightmare you're having. And what was the one thing that had been bothering Robin the most, you will find, was a movie that he was in where a young man goes into his closet and hangs himself. So what did Robin do? Mm. Why? Same with comedian Phil Hartman and his wife. Right, right. What happened, uh, just re- re- remind us what happened with, with Phil Hartman. She came in and she shot him while he was sleeping. Uh, yeah, she got up in the middle of the night and took a gun out of the nightstand and shot him. And I believe at that point it brought her out of the sleep state just enough to be confused about what was going on, she got in her car and drove over to a friend's home and was begging them to come back with her and tell her whether or not she had actually shot him or if she was having a nightmare because she wasn't sure which it was. And she, she had all the toxic signs of serotonin syndrome. She threw up several times. While she was there, her speech was very slurred so that it was hard for them to understand her. Um, Anyway, they came back with her to the home and did confirm that Phil had been shot. And as they walked into the other room, she picked up the phone in the bedroom and called her sister in Wisconsin and just screamed, Kathy, I, I shot Phil, why would I do that? There's no reason for it. She was just totally hysterical. And she begged her to take care of the children, because that was in her will that she would, and to tell them that Mommy didn't know what happened. And then she laid down next to Phil and shot herself. Mm. Just horrible. And that case has been settled for the children. It was settled. With yeah. which, which, which pharmaceutical company, do we, can we say? Pfizer. Pfizer. He, she was on Zoloft. 
And they're pretty mad at me for calling the family the day after their deaths and saying, don't you stop until you find one of these drugs, because trust me, it'll be there. And it was. I mean, I wasn't going to let those kids go through life without either parent and also on top of that, losing the love that they had for their mother. Of course. Of so course. I, to me, that's just criminal. How do you do that to kids? My did, gosh. Did they come after you? I mean, have they tried to silence you? Oh, yeah. What do they do? <laughs> how, how have they tried? Well, for that one, they sent their lead attorney after me uh, to do a deposition on a case that I had nothing to do with at all. But I agreed to do it for the attorney because he needed a favor from them. <laughs> But it was interesting. They had hardly any questions, of course, about the case when I got there. Uh, but they did want to know why I was looking into the case of a federal judge who shot his wife and himself. At that point, I knew which antidepressant he was taking. <laughs> and then they said, isn't it true that you're the one that called the Hartman family the day of their deaths? I said, no, it was the day after. And I said, why didn't you make the call? Why me? Who made it my responsibility? Why aren't you concerned enough about what your drug is doing that you're out there following up on these cases? Because the next person that dies could be your wife, your son, your daughter. Mm. So, uh, when, when did it, this drug become... When did it come into widespread use? What decade? Well, it was introduced here in America the end of 87. I think it was December of 87 they introduced it. But, of course, before that, there's a couple of years where you run all the trials and the, the clinical right. trials. Right. So people started taking it even back as far as 85. Can, could you, have you, have you tried to chart it where you could, where you could chart the occurrences of these mass shootings or increase oh, yeah. in incidents and suicides since the introduction of the drug? Oh, yes. And there's a, a noticeable spike af after 1987? Oh, yes, definitely. We've got an impact on our website. If you go to the scroll bar across the top, the blue bar across the top, the last, the very last choice will be SSRI stories, and that is a database of cases where it's documented what they were on. There's about 5,000 cases there. Now there, I mean, there have been mass killings prior. I, I, I think of, uh, let's say, for example, Richard Speck in 1966. He climbed the, uh, the clock tower at the University of Texas with a rifle and, and killed eight, eight women. Um, how do right. we then account for something like that? He was on something too. He was. Oh yeah. Richard Speck was. What do we know? Yes. What would he was, he, what was on he a on? drug that would affect serotonin as well. Fascinating. So. Yeah, and in fact, uh, with him, as I read his case, it was just identical. No, he was. He couldn't understand why he was doing what he was doing. Um, he loved his mother very much. He loved his wife. He killed them both. 
um, and then goes on a shooting spree. It, it just, it's awful. And, in fact, I don't know if I mentioned to you before, we had a case of a New York investigator, police investigator, who was given the drugs, um, I think it was after the birth of a baby. He became very anxious, you know, new dad, first baby. And the doctor gave him an antidepressant. He should have just given him a good night's sleep. But anyway, he took it for several years and then decided he really wanted to get off of the drug. Well, he came off too fast. You have to come off of these very gradually and take a very long time to wean off. But anyway, he didn't know that, and he came down too quickly and then several months later, the withdrawal, the worst of the withdrawal really hits you because these drugs accumulated a very high rate in the brain tissue. I'm going to, Ann, i got to jump in here. We'll, uh, we'll finish the story as soon as we get back, which will be shortly. Anne Blake Tracy, Prozac, Panacea or Pandora, drugawareness.org. Back with more. Stay with us. Big Brother is listening, and so are you. To The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. To speak with Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll free 1-866-740-4740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Question everything. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Uh, just a correction. I, I um, was talking about the, uh, the University of Texas uh, shooting back in 1966, and I said Richard Speck, of course, which was an entirely different um, mass murder. It was Charles Whitman. Um, Whitman right. was the, uh, the Texas shooter, and, and uh, I just found his, his suicide note online. I just wanted to read this because it's eerie. Because it, 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 it basically mirrors exactly what you're saying. Whitman writes, I do not really understand myself these days. I'm supposed to be an average, reasonable, and intelligent young man. However, lately, I cannot recall when it started. I have been a victim of many unusual and irrational thoughts. After one session, mm-hmm. after one session I never saw the doctor again. And since then, I have been fighting my mental turmoil alone and seemingly to no avail. After my death... I wish that an autopsy would be performed on me to see if there is any visible, any visible physical disorder. Fascinating. Same thing that Jeffrey Dahmer said. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. What was Dahmer taking? Prozac. He was taking Prozac. But he was also exposed in the womb. Oh. Which is definitely going to add to the problem. Interesting. His mother was on 23 pills a day while she was pregnant. Most of those were antidepressants. What what causes some people uh, that with, when their brain is awash in serotonin to take their own life versus lash out in, in, in a mass shooting? 
good question. It can really go just about either way, but with these, generally, they'll end up taking their own life, too, if they get a chance. If they get caught before they get a chance to take their own life, then... But that's one thing I said to the FDA when I testified to them. I said, can you remember back when suicidal people used to just go off alone somewhere and take their life instead of killing everyone around them and then themselves like they do on these drugs. The homicidal and suicidal ideation go hand in hand when it's produced by these drugs. But, you know, there's one other thing. I didn't finish the other story, did I? (laughs) There's also head injury that plays a big part in this that can make someone extremely vulnerable ah, okay. to yes. these drugs. No, you're right. We were talking about the New York, uh, was it a, a... Right, the New York was, investigator. Yeah, that was my fault. We, uh, I interrupted no, you for a break. No, it's okay. Okay. Yes, yeah, so um, he, he was a, a new father. Right, uh, he was a new father and took the drug for a while, and then he came off too quickly. Yes. And several months later is when the withdrawal, the worst of the withdrawal, kicked in. And he thought, oh, I'm going to have to go back on these. He was only back on them for nine days because each time you take them, you, it's like a synergistic effect. It hits you harder each time. Anyway, nine days later, he was driving somewhere to pick up a friend to play with his daughter. And he stopped the car on the way, got out went to the trunk of his car and got his police revolver and shot himself in the head. Oh, dear. His mother was totally upset. I mean, she she was so upset, she got put on the drugs. And somehow, the son was able to get through to her. I mean, I don't know how everybody feels about someone who's dead coming back, but... This mother swears her son came to her and said, Mom, I need your help. And (laughs) she said, How can I help you? You're dead. And he said, Mom, I didn't mean to do it. And that was enough to get her to start investigating the drugs, take herself off, and she has been fighting for getting the information out about these ever since. Uh, in the Stephen Paddock case, the, the Vegas uh, shooting, and we still know so little about it. It's, it's unprecedented. I know. The secrecy surrounding this case. Um, so much more Makes going on here that, than we know. But, uh, and I have to say, assuming it was Stephen Paddock, because I'm not even quite convinced of that, quite frankly. Right. Uh, but if it was... Paddock. Um, he was reportedly taking Valium or something. Was he not? Yes, he was taking Valium. And Valium can produce this as well, but not anywhere near to the extent that these antidepressants do. What I wonder with him, because he had recently moved from Florida where 
that has been one of the areas where there's just a huge amount of use of these drugs there. So he had recently moved from there, and I'm wondering if he came off his antidepressant too quickly, and that's why he felt he needed Valium or ended up on Valium, because you go into extreme anxiety as part of the withdrawal. So he could have been in antidepressant withdrawal when it happened, um, if he was the one, like you said. Right. Who knows? Right. That, that case is just bizarre. Beyond. Beyond bizarre. Um, yeah. One but of the things I like don't... Like I said, the head injury, too. Oh, yes, yes. That Let's is something that. that's not being warned against. The only antidepressant I know of that actually has very strong warnings on it for people who've had any head injury is Wellbutrin. And the last I heard, 75% of those who have played football have had head injuries. That's a whole lot of men that are in a position that is really scary if they're given one of these drugs. Well, and another high-profile case, well, one that just happened was... um, Donald Trump Jr.'s hunting partner, who was an ex-49er, San Francisco 49er, and he had to quit playing football because of a very, very serious head injury. His name was Jason Harrison, but um, the head injury was so bad that he actually cracked a couple of vertebrae in his neck. Oh, dear. And so, so that in combination with a drug... Uh, right, and uh, he ser- just committed suicide wow. this last week. Well, while you were mentioning that, it, it also occurred to me another sort of um, dangerous career path. Former wrestlers, professional wrestlers, Right. Uh, the number of those that have been committing suicide... Uh, it's just, I mean, and yes, ex-footballers as well, but, but, but professional wrestlers seem to be uh, taking their own lives at an incredible rate. And I would and think I that... I didn't have so many names in my brain, I could tell you the one that I know was on Zoloft when he killed his family and himself. He was a professional wrestler. Oh my gosh, I've forgotten his yes. name, and I talked to his dad quite a bit, too. Oh, uh, well... Um, Anyway, you're right. Chris Benoit. That's it. Yeah. Yeah, that was about 10 years ago. That was a a, a Canadian Canadian, uh, boy. Horrible, horrible story. Yeah, and he had just started on Zoloft when this happened. So, but also Roseanne Barr. Roseanne, I worked with her parents for years. Um, she had a terrible head injury when she was only 16. She was actually hit by a car, pedestrian, car pedestrian accident, and the hood ornament lodged in her forehead. Oh, my dear Lord. Yeah, so it was a really serious head injury, and Roseanne had horrible reactions to Prozac. I mean, the world still talks about some of her reactions that she had to Prozac, but... 
they didn't know that was what it was. But she falsely accused her parents of sexually molesting her when she was only six months old. And then in 2009, she went on Oprah with her mom, who's an absolute angel. Uh, if there's ever been an angel to walk the earth, it's Roseanne Barr's mom. What a sweetheart. But she, they were on the show together, and Roseanne very humbly said, this was the biggest mistake I have ever made in my life, and it was caused by my medication. I was just so glad that her mother was finally able to hear that. Right. But what made me sick was her father passed away before he got to hear it. Ah, so he didn't... Uh, I had to have broken he, his heart. Yes, I'm... Oh, devastating. But just it, a ter- those kinds of terrible things happening to families. I mean, look at all the relationships destroyed, and it's just... It's wrong. Is there... Are there any plans for a huge class action lawsuit against these big drug companies? Not that I know of, but I know there's sure enough people clamoring, wanting one. I hear it all the time saying, you know, I've been robbed of years of my life. Isn't there some kind of justice for this? Which is true. I mean, somebody comes off of these after 10 20 years going, uh, where have I been all this time? After these mass People, shootings in, in places like Parkland, do you, are you ever asked, or, are, or do you ever go in and, and try to speak to these, to these, uh, the, you know, the survivors of the, of the parents and, and try to tell them, listen, we're, you're barking up the wrong tree. This isn't about gun control. This is about serotonin. Well... Um, yeah, I've tried. I mean, I was pretty much the expert in the Columbine case, worked with many of those families. Um, they were scared off. There, were, there was one boy that sued them for causing Columbine. He took six to, seven, six to 13 bullets in the chest Ugh. and barely survived. And he sued them. But there were five other families that wanted to join the suit. But they were told by the attorneys, if you do not win in court, we will come after you for everything that you have. They told the survivors that? Yes. They said, we've already lost our loved ones. We can't afford to lose everything else. So they walked away. Mark was the only one that went after them, and you know what they've done to him? No. What did they do? About 10 years ago, Mark got all kinds of interest from the FDA board that listened to him testify. They came down and shook his hand to congratulate him and thank him for coming to testify to them, and he had raked them over the coals. (laughs) He basically just said, where were you when I and all of my classmates got shot? Exactly. Why weren't you doing your job? If you were, 
this would not have happened. We're going to take a time out. We're going to come back okay. and have you on for the next hour, take some phone calls, and we'll, we'll finish up with this story and find out what happened to uh, Mark, this uh, survivor of Columbine who took between 7 and 13 bullets in the chest, survived, and then sued the drug company and won. Uh, we'll find out what happened to him after that. And Blake Tracy, executive director of drugawareness.org, the book. Now, in its second edition, perhaps third edition, uh, is Prozac, Panacea or Pandora. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Live from Toronto, Canada, Earth. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett on Zoomer Radio. Hey, thanks for inviting me into your home, long-haul truck, RV camper, taxi, your loft, your parents' basement, that greasy spoon just off the interstate, and your cabin in the woods. How do to all of you tuning in on the 740 kilohertz band on the amplitude modulation, Zoomer Radio, our flagship station. Hi to all of you listening in on one of our affiliate stations across North America. Those of you who listen and watch this radio program on the Conspiracy Show YouTube channel. And I think, uh, Albert, we are, we may have uh, passed or at least we're scratching at the door of 10,000 subscribers, uh, which is a, which is a, a nice, uh, a nice thing to have achieved. So thank you. If you haven't already done so, please hit the red sub button. But 10,000, that's a, a, a nice uh, horizon. Um, hello to all of you listening via the app, of course. It's a free download, by the way, the Conspiracy Show app and the Zoomer Radio app as well. Both free, fabulous radio apps. However and wherever you're listening, I bid thee the warmest of welcomes and I thank you for your fine company. Uh, just a reminder, there is uh, no live YouTube stream tonight, but the audio of tonight's show will be posted on the YouTube channel in a few days. Also a reminder, if you haven't already done so, check out my podcasts, Conspiracy Unlimited. We just passed the 1 million unique downloads. The 1 millionth unique downloads, which is pretty exciting. It just keeps growing and growing and growing. Conspiracy Unlimited. It drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. You can listen and subscribe at conspiracyunlimitedpodcast.com. And... And if you love rock and roll and uh, mysteries, check out my other podcast, The Rock and Roll Twilight Zone. New episodes drop Wednesdays, and we're taking a week off before launching into Season 2. Uh, the Rock and Roll Twilight Zone is part of the Jericho Network. Just Google it, The Rock and Roll Twilight Zone, or you can go to my website, strangeplanet.ca, and find the podcasts in the top menu bar, strangeplanet.ca. Uh, incidentally, the, the homepage for the uh, the conspiracy show, which is on strangeplanet.ca, uh, was down momentarily, but it's back up. So if you go to strangeplanet.ca and you click on the conspiracy radio program, it's back up. And Blake Tracy stays with us for the full two hours. This hour, we'll take calls with Anne as uh, we continue to discuss uh, the connections between certain prescribed psychiatric drugs and painkillers and mass shootings and also suicide. Um, and we were talking about um, one of the survivors of the Columbine shooting, uh, Mark, who sustained 
tremendous. I can't believe anyone would survive being shot between seven and 13 times. Uh, however, he survived, sued the drug company, won. What happened to him after that? Well, he didn't sue the drug company and win. Oh, okay. They talked him into settling by making him think he was going to go to jail if he didn't settle. What? And um, his attorney was apparently in on that because he was the one that convinced him of it. The It's such a long story. But anyway, <laughs> they talked him into accepting a $10,000 donation to a charity of his choice. That was the settlement. Oh, dear then, Lord. Pardon me? I said, oh, dear Lord. I know. I mean, he called me as soon as he got out of there, and this was a surprise meeting. Um, the Denver Post reporter stood outside during the whole thing. I talked to him for a little while. He said, I can't believe this. And I said, neither can I. <laughs> I tried to talk to the attorney in the middle of it, telling him that it was totally illegal, that Mark had just barely turned 21, but he laid for an hour and a half bleeding to death in front of Columbine. I said that's a lot of brain damage because that's a lot of oxygen loss to the brain with that much bleeding. So I said, you know, there's, he is not legally 21 years of age, but he didn't listen. Anyway, Mark was taken in on trumped-up charges trying to say that he, he was always going to border books because he wrote a book about what happened to him called um, I Asked, God Answered. And because um, he was praying the whole time that he would be able to see his family again and survive. But anyway, he um, went in to check on his book all the time that he had written to see how many had sold and got accused of threatening to blow the place up. So they stuck him in a psych ward. Even the head of that psychiatric facility caught the mother at church and said, get him out of Colorado. They're trying to kill him with these drugs. <clears throat> she did that. I was able to get him out. She did that, but... What she didn't tell me is that they had not given him any of the drugs they had put him on to wean off. So he went cold turkey. She thought he was having a seizure and ran him into an emergency room. They took one look at his records, saw the psychiatric history, and said, no, it's psychiatric. They've had him ever since. So they've been drugging him for 10 years with the drugs that he was testifying against for years. He's in a psychiatric institution? No, he's in a group home at this point. Ah. On 10 medications. Oh, my Lord. Have, have you had any contact with him? Y yes. Does he yeah, know who I you are at this say. point, or is he, is he sort of out of it? Pardon me? Does he know who you are at this point, or is he sort of out of it? No, he does. 
He does know who I am. He's holding it. There's a lot of people praying for him, but it's just, it's criminal. It's obvious. Just It was just to shut him up. This is uh, Mark Taylor, the author of I Asked, God Answered, A Columbine Miracle. Yeah. Just 16 at the time, and... Uh, shot up to 13 times and survived. Settle out of court with a drug company. Oh, my Lord. Uh, Let's uh, take a phone call. And um, Charlene is here in Toronto. Charlene, uh, good morning. Welcome to The Conspiracy Show. Hi. Hi there. Hello. Hi, I have a question. You were talking earlier about Robin Williams' suicide. Um, right. Around the time when he died four years ago, I did start thinking, well, he probably committed suicide because of some sort of medication that he was taking. So you were saying that he did. That was the cause of the suicide, was uh, some sort of medication he was taking. Yeah, she did mention yeah. it earlier, but uh, you're, um, what was the drug again, Anne? Remeron and Seroquel. He was on two of them. And how is that uh, making him want to do that? It causes a sleep disorder called a REM sleep disorder. Yes. Where you do not have paralysis while you're asleep, and you can get up and act out whatever you're dreaming. Um, Like, for instance, I had a little neighbor girl who got put on these drugs, and I said, Amber, if anybody should know better, you should. You have heard me. She used to give me a bad time about never getting off the phone, always being there trying to help somebody. I said, you know what these people are going through. Why would you do this? And I said, it's your choice, but if you reach a point where you start having really vivid nightmares, you get hold of me. She said, oh, I already am. I said, what do you mean? And she said, well, just the other night I was dreaming that my cat was crawling all around the very edge of my bed. But she said, I woke up and it was me. (laughs) Hmm. I said, Amber, here's the CD on how you come off of these drugs safely. Follow it closely. She's doing great now, married, has her own family. But... That was scary, and that's the kind of thing is, and Robin's worst nightmare was that last movie he had done where the young man goes into the closet and hangs himself. Yeah, I saw that, that really upset him. Yeah, I saw that movie. Um, now, did his, I don't know if you know this, but did his family sue the drug company? No, his wife does not know this yet. Um one thing I'm going to work on. Anyway, she she attributed it to Louis Bodies. Yes. Yes. Because Louis Bodies also produces that REM sleep disorder. And I, at this point, am almost totally convinced that the drugs are causing Louis Bodies. Because Louis Bodies is a cluster of proteins, and these drugs are very highly protein binding. Well, why was he ninety-eight percent? Sorry, why was he taking these medications if he didn't have this disorder, Louis Body disorder, or whatever? 
Why was he uh, taking those drugs, Anne? Do we yeah. know? He had, Robin had a long history of depression. Yes, he did. So he had taken antidepressants in the past as well. Um, and if you've heard enough of the show, you know that when you take antidepressants and they increase serotonin, it actually produces depression. And they also drop your blood sugar drastically, and when they do that, when your blood sugar drops, you lose brain cells immediately, which is one reason why you get depressed. <laughs> so, and a lot of depression before these drugs ever hit the market was caused by low blood sugar. The blood sugar dropping, the brain saying, hey, help, I'm in trouble here. And instead of taking care of the blood sugar, they were just thrown a drug. Charlene, thanks for the call. I appreciate that. Uh, was, what, one thing I need you to help me understand, Anne, and we'll be heading into a break, but we'll, we'll start it now, and, and, and after the break you can continue to discuss this. But, I mean, in, in, in many of these mass shootings, there, there seems to be, you know, long-term planning. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it's not a spontaneous kind of a lashing out. How is that? There's that music, so we'll, we'll, we'll get to this after the break. Okay. But I'd like to know, how does this happen, that, that if, if someone is having this episode and yet they are able to almost rationally and carefully plan out these heinous acts? We'll get to that. Aunt Blake Tracy, drugawareness.org, the website, the book, Prozac, Panacea or Pandora. Back with more in a moment. The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. The world is being pulled over your eyes. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett from Zoomer Radio. To reach Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll-free at 1-866-740-4740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. The truth is not out there. It's right here. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett from Zoomer Radio. And Blake Tracy with us for the full two hours. She is the executive director of the International Coalition for Drug Awareness. And uh, she has, since 1992, testified as an expert witness in Prozac and other SSRI-related court cases around the world. Again, some of the more high-profile cases she has worked on uh, includes the murder-suicide of comedian Phil Hartman and his wife Bryn, which we talked about earlier, of course, the Columbine um, and Red Lake shootings, school shootings, Andrea Yates, the Texas mother who drowned her five children, um, and Nicole Smith's son, Daniel, uh, his death. Uh, We were talking before the break, I was asking you about, in these mass shootings, there seems to be a great deal of planning and and um, almost you know rational well not rational but but presence of mind here, uh, it's not kind of a spur of the moment like a lashing out. Uh, I mean, is that how does that play into someone's you know brain that when they're washed in serotonin? Like for example, the suicide seems Very to be easy. far more spontaneous. The suicide seems to be more spontaneous, but these mass shootings sometimes they are weeks in planning. Okay. Um, Eric Harris had had the same dream about shooting up Columbine several times before 
he ever did it. But, and the vivid dreams that I talk about, I know play a part of it. But the description of the side effect of homicidal ideation or suicidal ideation, what that means is basically a compulsion to kill. It is constant ruminating thoughts of killing and various methods of killing. So these run through their mind over and over and over again to where they can hardly think of anything else. And in working with patients for almost 30 years now, I found that what happens is they will fight that urge to kill. So it looks as if, you know, and then it will abate for a period of time, and then it'll come back and hit them again, depending on the toxicity in their brain. And they will fight it off again. So it actually looks like they're planning this when, in fact, they're doing everything they can to fight it off until they finally can no longer fight those toxic effects and follow through. Ah, that is, uh, that's fascinating. Um, it's horrible. It is horrible. In fact, but on, on the website where I mentioned that there's the little round black circles yes. with different subjects, the last one there, I think there's six altogether, the last one is titled, Why I Took a Gun to School. And this is another 16-year-old boy who did this, and he explains exactly what happened to him. It's only 10 to 15 minutes long, and it's excellent. The whole world should hear him explain this. He became very close friends with Mark as well. Mark Taylor. Mm. Yeah. Uh, speaking so here's of- a school shooter and a kid that was shot understood it enough and were crying to the world to please stop drugging your kids. Uh, questions and comments for Ann Blake Tracy. 416-360-0740 in the greater Toronto area. Again, 416-360-0740. Toll free from out of town, one 740 4740 1-866- 744740. Uh, in the uh, speaking of uh, Columbine again, because you mentioned Mark Taylor, uh, did either Klebold or Harris did they did they call out for help? Did they in advance? Yes. Did they say I'm having these compulsions to kill? Oh yes, um, Eric was on Zoloft for six weeks. And told everyone, you know, there's there's something wrong here because, you know, I'm having thoughts of killing people. And it really scared him. And so what did the doctors do? They took him off Zoloft and put him on Luvox. I mean, do these idiots think that if they spell the name of a drug differently, it's going to work differently? Right, right. They're both SSRIs. They're doing the same thing. So I am sure Eric, just a kid, 
thought, well, maybe it wasn't the drug. It's it must be me. There's something wrong with my brain, and and was afraid to say anything else after that. I don't know. And what about Eric Harris? You mean Dylan? I'm sorry, Dylan. Yes, that was Eric. Okay, with Dylan, we don't know as much because his parents had all of his records sealed which is absolutely unbelievable to me that anybody would ever allow that to happen Mm -hmm. in a mass murder. But one of his friends approached Mark Taylor's mother and told her that she had been helping Dylan to come off both Zoloft and Paxil. She was trying to do it on her own. Mm -hmm. Oh, dear. Yeah. I mean, just about everybody's left on their own because doctors generally don't have a clue how to get anybody off these drugs. They know how to get them on them, but they don't know how to safely get them off. Well, let's talk about that. I mean, you have a DVD, I believe, or a CD. How, how, how do you do it? Yeah, I do have a CD that goes for an hour and a half explaining how and why and what's going on. But you have to go very, very slowly because of the strong steroid effect the drugs produce. One single 30-milligram dose of Prozac will double your cortisol level. Just one dose. In fact, I called an endocrinologist one day, and I said, Can you tell me how long the human body can tolerate having the cortisol level doubled on a daily basis? He said, Oh, my gosh, you can't do that to someone. I said, if you could, how long would you think the body could possibly handle that? He said, gosh, a month, maybe two, three at the most. And he said, why are you asking me this? And I said, well, that's what one 30-milligram dose of Prozac does. He goes, oh, no, 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 no. Prozac's a wonderful drug. I had to tell him where the study was so he could go find it because he had never heard it. Here he is, an endocrinologist who should know something that significant. I mean, that's like taking a huge shot of, of um, cortisone. And the reason he didn't know is because Lily, when they did that study, did it in Italy. So they wouldn't have to report it in the U.S. How did this get by the FDA? Money. <laughs> hmm. I'm blunt. It had to be. I, and I, I sat through. I have been to every one of the hearings that they have had on these drugs. The first hearing, they had all the doctors who sat on the board sign a waiver saying that they would not allow any financial interest they had to interfere with their decision that day. Every one of them had a financial interest. One of them up to $32 million. So what do you think they came back with? Mm Mm-hmm. Rubber stamp. Mm Mm-hmm. 
And where do everyone at the FDA go for a job after they leave the FDA? Exactly. Back to the pharmaceuticals. It's the revolving door, isn't it? Yep. That's a problem. That's a huge problem. They screw up their job waiting for them. I mean, this is a problem not only at the FDA, but, uh, uh, you know, even uh, the agriculture department, everywhere, everywhere. Everywhere. I know. It's, it's just sickening. How did you, how did you find out? I don't understand it. How did you learn? <laughs> what is your background? How did you learn so much about this? Uh, I read every piece of research I could find for four years straight. I mean, 14, 16 hours a day, I had to know what these drugs were doing. And the more I read, the more concerned I became. And I was just literally obsessed in knowing what was going on because I could see that it was spreading like crazy. And the more I would learn, I'd say, oh, my gosh, people have got to wake up to this before we have this. And here we are in the middle of this now. I don't know how to stop it other than try to get the word out to as many people as possible. We are surrounded by this stuff. They just had a threat at my grandchildren's school. Someone with a gun? It's just so frightening. This stuff is just... It's literally surrounded us. Where it's coming through everybody's back door. And that's exactly what a pharmacist said when she testified to the FDA in the very first hearing. She was still crying because she had attempted suicide on Prozac. Her husband, she kept trying to warn him. He, both of them pharmacists, had their own pharmacy. She kept saying, you've got to get off of this drug. He kept saying, I'm doing fine, until he walked in while the, her and the children were watching TV one day and shot himself in oh, front of them. gosh. She said, this is not a medication. This is a drug. We have removed it from our shelves. We will not sell it. What you are doing is terrible, and she said the day will come that every family in this country will be affected. She's right. What do we know about the Parkland shooter? We know that he was adopted, number one, and, and I know a whole lot of young moms that gave up their babies because they were on these drugs when they became pregnant. So, their chances are he could have been exposed in the womb because he was given up for adoption. Um, We know that he began to be medicated quite early in life. They diagnosed him as autistic. And according to the judge, he was being treated for ADHD and depression. I'm trying to think what else. But we know he was on at least two drugs for quite some time. His mother died just a month. Was it just a month before? Two months before the shooting. And 
I would imagine somebody increased his dose. I mean, he suddenly lost his mom. Right. He died of pneumonia, I believe. Right, yes. So it was rather sudden. Um, so I'm sure that, he, that the dose was adjusted. And Eric's was as well. His dose was doubled just two months before the shooting. Uh, James Holmes, the Aurora uh, theater right. shooting. On Zoloft. He was on Zoloft. Yes. I, I look at, I look at his face in court and mm-hmm. those eyes. Um, like a deer in the headlight. Absolutely, a deer in the headlight. And and, and I did what? Exactly. Yes. Yes, and I don't think anybody else saw what I saw. I saw a tweet that came in from the officer who first found him and arrested him. And he said, I have never seen so much sweat pour off of a human body. I went, bingo. That's serotonin syndrome. It's one of your first signs of very high levels of serotonin. All right, Ann, we'll take another time out, come back and uh, continue to discuss the connection between mass shootings and psychiatric prescribed drugs right here on The Conspiracy Show. You want the truth? You can handle the truth. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio. To get the truth, call Richard now at 416-360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Exploring theories, uncovering facts, and offering a different view of the universe. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio. To speak with Richard live, call 416-360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740. And Blake Tracy, Executive Director of the International Coalition for Drug Awareness, and the book is Prozac, Panacea or Pandora. Uh, what edition is it in now, uh, uh, Anne? It's the third third edition all right and that's and available. the subtitle is our serotonin nightmare our serotonin nightmare all right i have a we'll go to the phones here in a minute but i also have an email uh from avril or avril hi richard could you please ask your guest to comment on the fact that doctors and hospitals are giving many seniors anti-psychotic mm. and antidepressant drugs they give this for depression or any behavioral issues including patients with dementia Dementia patients can have severe, uh, I think she means hearing issues, when taking these meds. Can your guest address these issues? And are there more senior suicides than are being reported? Thanks. Go ahead, Ann. I agree. Mm -hmm. I just watched them kill my friend's mother. But I did everything I could to hurry and try to open a nursing home where it was medication-free before she died. But 
Unfortunately, my friend's brothers and sisters put her in the nursing home, wouldn't listen, let them give her antidepressants, and she very quickly started having all the reactions and ended up dead before I could do anything. She started, they gave her Celexa, she started having the heart problems. Her throat started closing. The main function of serotonin is constriction of muscle tissue. So you end up with the veins and arteries. Uh, It's a vasoconstrictor. So they constrict. Your bronchial tubes constrict. So you start having lung problems as well, breathing problems. Uh, In the very beginning, I kept saying, boy, I wish I had money to invest in CPAP machines because everyone on an antidepressant seems to end up on them. Uh, So it just causes so many problems. And here you've got the elderly, the organs are beginning to gradually shut down. So... Of course, they can't handle the drug the way someone who is younger and healthy can. So, of course, it hits them hard and fast. And it is just sad to see what's happening. And my friend said all of the people in there were drugged. And that was one reason her mother became depressed when she got in there. I mean, it's depressing enough knowing you're going into one of those places. The poor woman said, maybe if I did more dishes, I wouldn't have to go. Oh, that's so sad. I just, that broke my heart. This was the sweetest lady, so full of life and used all kinds of natural things to keep herself healthy. They refused to let her use anything natural, including just carrot juice, occasionally. Are you getting through to any of the the, the medical doctors, any any of the psychiatrists? Are they starting to come around? Any of them? Oh, a handful, sure. Yeah, there there are a few that know enough to pay attention, but I'm hearing over and over. The first time I heard it is when. A Russian camera crew came to America to do a documentary with me. That was in 2007. They had me give a lecture, and there were a couple of psychiatric nurses that came, and one stood up afterwards and she said, everything you said here tonight is true. I know, because I'm on Lexapro, and I've had every one of those side effects. And then she explained that she was a psych nurse, and she said, but you don't know what's going on out here. And I said, what do you mean? And she said, 75% of the doctors and nurses I work with are on these drugs. 75%? Yeah, you should have seen all the cameras in the room whirl as fast as they could onto her. (laughs) They wanted that recorded. But... um. She said, yes, the drug reps are coming in and saying to everyone, look, you're in a very stressful profession. You know that the stress is going to cause depression. By the way, they test stress and depression by checking 
cortisol levels. And what did I say these drugs uh, do? Right. They elevate cortisol levels. They elevate cortisol. So anyway, that was the story that they were using to get them to start taking antidepressants early so that they wouldn't be hit by the depression that would come from the stress. Oh, so now they're, now they're saying take it as a preventative. Exactly. Even if you're not depressed. And I just said, you mean to tell me that they fell for that old sales line? She said, I guess so. So if 75% of doctors and nurses are taking these, how can we possibly expect them to stop prescribing them to the rest of us? All right, exactly. we'll, uh, we'll take a time out, and when we come back, we'll go to the calls. Uh, G. Robert, I don't want to use your, your last name, Robert, even though you've provided it. He's uh, waiting on the line in New York, and we'll get to your call and others. The Conspiracy Show continues right after this. When you look at the sky... Ever wonder if someone's looking back? This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. To speak with Richard live, call 416-360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Shaking the world and seeing what falls. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett from Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. All right, let's go to the phones. G. Robert is in New York for Ann Blake Tracy. Hello, G. Robert. Good morning. Hello, sir. I, I, uh, I'm a disabled veteran. I'm 73 years old. I was killed in 1966 on board ship, and I went to the hospitals, and they air-vacked me back to the States over a period of time. I was in a coma for 10 weeks, then I was unconscious, and, and, and that, you know the story. And I was put out of the Navy in August of, in April of 1966, and the next day they shipped me to another ship. I was on a nuclear submarine. And I told the corpsman, I said, well, they put me out yesterday. He said, I don't know about that. You're going to Charleston. Well, in the next two and a half years, I put three three enlisted, three officers down. I was up for court-martial. I was never court-martialed. I got out with a hangover in my head. I had uh, problems with, you know, needing help, and I, 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 did, I wasn't seeking help. Even though I needed it, I knew I needed it, but I, I was afraid or whatever. So, so finally, I got into the VA system, and they Uh-oh. started putting me on drugs, and they and and they were making me feel funny. I wouldn't take them. I, and, and my son, he, he called me about 2000, I don't know, say 2000, and he says, well, what is that? I said, I'm having a lot of drugs, and I said, I, I don't take them. He said, well, what are they? And I says. Well, the two that I've got now is Alproslam and the Clofenac. And he got on the computer. He's he's intelligent. I have a 220 IQ, and I was 14, and I'm stupid now. And he mm-hmm. says, well, one, that, that's uh, it's, it's Xanax. It's, you don't want to take that. And I says, I didn't know what it was, but it would make me feel right. funny, so I haven't been taking it. Well, you come up to about last year, a year ago, and the woman, the nurse, I, I mean, I have another doctor now, and she was talking to me. And she is a foreign, and, and she has accents and stuff, and she got mad at me about something. And she says, you do those too many drugs. And I said, well, let me tell you something, lady. 
I said, you start screwing with me, and I said, I'll go public, and I will tell, I will go to the newspaper, and I'll tell them what the hell is going on. And <laughs> a week later, I got my drug shipment, which is right now, it's pravastatin. Um, I have it for cholesterol, for high blood pressure. I have uh, meclizine for vertigo, aspirin, and a couple other things. And and I take the cholesterol, the uh, the stuff for cholesterol, and I take the Uh-oh. pravastatin, and I and I take the the pravastatin one and the other one for one is a hydro something for blood pressure and one's for cholesterol. But do you have anything? Are, are you taking anything that with serotonin in it though, Robert? Huh? Are you taking anything that has serotonin? I don't take I don't take I don't take anything now with serotonin. But you were for a while. I I assume I was. I mean, I we're talking from '66 to 2000 when I found out about the 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 uh, the uh, proslam and the clofenac, the one that was bad for me. My right. son said it was a it was a right. drug. I quit the taking VA them all. I don't take only what I told you now. Uh, and the VA you, drugs people like nobody else. Well, I, these guys come out on twenty drugs. They're having guys just die in their sleep because they're on so many meds. Mm-hmm. It's really bad. Well, the number of suicides it was it was a it was one a day uh, mm-hmm. last I checked with with veterans and and. It wasn't twenty two a day. Twenty two a day. My word. Who knows how many now? Twenty two a day. That's right. They just they dole these drugs out like crazy. It, what do they What do they generally prescribe for post traumatic distress syndrome? And thank you for the call, G. Robert. Um, Antidepressants. They do. Yeah. And what's crazy is the drugs cause PTSD. So. We've got a lot of people that didn't even go to battle and have PTSD. Is that right? Because they put them on these. <laughs> How did you determine that, that there, there are people that didn't go to battle that are suffering from uh, PTSD? It's been reported. It has. Yeah. Yeah, they've got stats showing that. My gosh, so, you would think someone would be able to connect these dots. It seems so obvious. I know it takes, if I sit down and talk to somebody for about five minutes, it's that simple. I mean, I've had a 10-year-old kid pick up my book at a conference and in two days read, oh, how much had she read already, a third of it? And come to me and say, why are these drugs on the market? She had lost both of her parents to the drugs, oh, by the way. God. That was her main motivation in learning more. But to her, it was just obvious that it was crazy for us to be using these things. Are these, are these side effects listed uh, anywhere in the literature? <laughs> Not all of them. Do they list homicidal and suicidal tendencies? Yes. And not all of them list the homicidal yet. But if you know enough to know how to read through them, and you gather, what they'll do is they'll water down the side effects 
So, like, they'll talk about insomnia or they do list nightmares, you know, but they don't put it all together and say, by the way, this is a REM sleep disorder. All right. Let's uh, say hi to Irene in Mississauga. Irene, good morning. Welcome to The Conspiracy Show. What I like to inquire about is since 1993, I'm taking Zoloft, and uh, all the doctors I'm going to, they said I cannot get off from that pill. I have to take it till I live. Mm-hmm. And you know why they tell people that? No. Because they don't know how to get you off. I see. That how makes me I so mad off? when they tell people that. But, yeah, since 93 is sure a long time. How old are you, Irene, if I may ask? Pardon me? If I may ask, how old are you? I am 77. 77. And, is it and I had a car accident. Oh, and, uh, no. <coughs> and are you taking it for depression? Yes, I take it for depression. Mm-hmm. And they gave it to you after the car accident? No. My no. system gave up on me. I lost my short memory. Yes. And uh, I was crying all the time. And uh, that is the time when they gave me Prozac first, which I couldn't take it. And then I took Zoloft, and that was better. Hmm. I can function with Zoloft, but every day I have pain. Yeah. And I cannot sleep. Yep. Insomnia and fibromyalgia are two yes, of the most I have common fibromyalgia. Yeah. Fibromyalgia is common, uh, did you say, Anne, with, with people yes. that take serotonin? And is that because and of the so constricting asthma? Because it constricts the muscles. Right. Uh, can I uh, get, can I switch over? to CBD, cannabis? Um, A lot of people are using the CBD oil to wean off of the drugs. But with that many years on the drug, it would take you several years to wean off safely, even using the CBD oil. Yeah. Um, there is, we have a bunch of Facebook groups. We do have one called Zoloft Should Be Illegal. And Prozac Should Be Illegal. And Paxil Should Be Illegal. Yeah. All of those are Facebook groups that we have. And um, there is a young lady in there that helps with these and she was on them for 21 years and was able to wean off so she's very very helpful 
you might want to go into one of those Facebook groups and ask her some of those questions. But I would be very, very careful and take a very long time to wean off as you switch over to the CBD oil. But Uh, CBD oil does help in the withdrawal. Irene, thank you uh, for sharing, and and, um, I wish you all the best. Um, So we have just a few minutes left. Did you ever think when you wrote this book, it's been nearly 25 years, you'd still be talking about this? A quarter century later, we'd still be talking about this? No, I thought it would take a year, maybe two, and these drugs would be off the market. I had no idea the kind of money I was fighting. (laughs) I was just naive. I thought everybody cared about everybody else, and surely they'd want to do the right thing. So it's been a real wake-up call for me. <laughs> That's true. I mean, we're, we're probably talking about, what, hundreds of billions of dollars Yeah. at stake here. It's a lot of money. I just, I know, I just couldn't conceive that there were people out there that didn't care about others enough to make sure that nothing terrible like this could happen to someone. <sighs> There's got to be a, a whistleblower on the inside. Like, uh, who was the... Uh, there uh, already has been. The doctor who bought the approval for Prozac came forward. All of his information is on our website mm-hmm. as well. He talks about the bribe. I did the first show with him that he did here in America, and I asked him point blank how much he paid the doctor to get the approval. They got it in Sweden because Sweden has very strict laws on drug approval and they knew if they got it in Sweden the other countries would look the other way and say sure go ahead that one's all right. So, and that so that's what they did. They told him to get the approval any way he could and he said money and they said sure go for anything. So he's kind of the Jeff. Was it Jeffrey Wigand who was the uh, the whistleblower in the tobacco companies? Um, I don't remember, but I know whenever the insider came out, everybody said, "You got to watch that. It's like your life history." That's right. Right. <laughs> exactly. Except with Jeffrey Wigand, I wasn't inside like this doctor was. But but we know how you know the uh, the Jeffrey Wigan sort of testimony ended, and that is you know they ended up hauling all those tobacco CEOs in on, in front of uh, on on right. Capitol Hill, and and um, and the same thing should happen with this. Exactly. Do you do you have any hope in in heck that it's going at to least happen? tobacco didn't cause you to kill a whole bunch of people before right. you died? That's right. Well, and well, I, I guess in a way, secondhand smoke, but. Not such violence. No, my gosh, we have to people. We have to wake up and start at least looking at this seriously. Uh, oh, I know. It scares me to know what I know about these drugs. Scares me to death. And Blake Tracy again. The website is drugawareness.org. And um, keep doing what you're doing, Anne. That's all we can ask. Okay, I will as long as I can. I never dreamed I'd have to do it this long. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. All right. Thank you. 
Ian Robertson, Albert Fenzel, my thanks to you. Back next week with a brand new program. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. What I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Good night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.